As we look in chapter three of Second Peter today, we're going to <coughs> it's going to be part two from the message that we started last week. <coughs> and we're going to look at just three verses, verses well, actually, yeah, three verses, verses eight, nine, and ten today. And again, we are the overall theme for this series of messages, and this is our ninth message. On Jesus, he is worthy of our devotion. And we are focusing now on part two of, of what can we be certain of in this world. When we look in this passage, Peter helps us to see what we can be certain of. As we look in verses 8, 9, and 10. The Bible says, but beloved... <coughs> But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each one that is assembled here. God, we just thank you for joy and laughter that you've placed in our hearts and in our lives. But God, we thank you for your word, that we can rely upon your word. We can be certain that your word is true. And so God, we pray that you would just be in the midst today and that everything that's said would give you glory, that it would magnify your son and it would edify your people. And we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. Speak to hearts, God. If there's one who doesn't know you for the forgiveness of sin, let this be a day that they see their need to repent and turn to you. We give you praise for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> um, just so you'll know, I, I don't have the flu. Uh, I, this is a, that same cough that I get every year. It's, a, it's more from my sinuses and allergy, allergies. I thought when I started allergy shots that I'd be rid of it, but obviously not. So um, I'm going to do, as Brother Marcus said, I'm going to keep my doctor appointment and I'm going to see if we can't fix this. But I'm not contagious. I want you to know I'm not contagious. Um, last week, as we focused on verses 1 through 7, last week we noticed a couple of things that we can be certain of in this uncertain world that we're living in. According to Peter's writings, uh, in verses 1 through 7, we saw here in the second letter that we can be first certain of the testimony of the scriptures. God's word is true. We saw this last week. We, we, we shared from the word of God that 
that God's word is true. The testimony that the scripture gives about God's word, we can be certain of it. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah testifies saying that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. God went on to say through his prophet that so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. So that lets us know, again, God is testifying himself through a prophet that his word is certain. God's word is true. We can be certain of its testimony. But also last week, we saw that, that Peter shares that we can be certain that there will be scoffers around. That these scoffers will rise up and there raise a question as to Christ's return. It seems that people are concerned with the fact that the church is still declaring that Jesus is coming back, but he hasn't come back yet. This seems to be a concern for many believers today. If it's true, why hasn't he come back? Well, as a result, we can be certain that until the Lord actually comes, there's going to be scoffers in this world. There's going to be people who question, people who doubt, people who, who just move forward thinking that everything that we preach, everything that we teach, everything that we say is just words. Well, I want to tell you, the scripture helps us to see that his words are true. His words are true. And today we want to look at the third part of this message or the third point from this message that we began last week. And it is that we can be certain of Jesus return. Now we can be certain that the testimony of scripture is is true. We can be certain that scoffers are are going to be here and we can be certain that Jesus will return. We can be certain because we know Jesus is coming by the earth. This is a declaration that scripture has said time and time again. Matthew 16 and 27, the Bible says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and, and then he will reward each according to his works. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden of darkness, and reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. In 2 Timothy 4 and 1, the Bible says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Again, we're finding out here that he is going to return. If we can know, if we know that the testimony of scripture is true, then we can see here the scripture is telling us he will return. Now with the testimony of scripture, and we settled this last week that it is certain with this declaration from the Bible believing churches that, uh, a declaration from Bible believing churches that Jesus is soon to come. The question for so many since it has been over 2,000 years since we've been declaring Jesus is coming, the question is, why hasn't he come yet? Well, I want to help you understand what Peter says 
about why he hasn't come yet. First, it's because God does not measure time as we do. When we look here in verse 8, he says, But do not forget one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He doesn't measure time like you and I do. What Peter is quoting here in verse 8 is a verse from from the Psalms. In in Psalm 90, verse 4, the Bible says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. In other words, Peter here understood real clear what the psalmist was trying to say, that that with God, his time is not our time. And our time is not his time. Warren Wiersbe, this great theologian, he once stated, that since, the, since a thousand years are as one day to the Lord, we cannot accuse him of delayed fulfillment of his promises. In God's sight, the whole universe is only a few days old. It is, he is not limited by time and space as we are, nor does he measure it according to our standards. When you study the works of God, especially in the Old Testament, you can see that he is never in a hurry. But you'll also see that he is never late. Folks, God can do in one day what what it would take us a thousand years to do. God works on his own time. He is not working to accomplish our will. He's working to accomplish his will. The scoffers of Peter's day and even those today, they do not understand the mercy and the love of God. God could send his son to receive those of us who has trusted Jesus Christ as our personal savior right now. There's nothing according to scripture that has to take place that's preventing him to come. But he can come right now, but in his mercy, in his grace, right now, God does not want anyone to perish, but he's wanting everyone to know his son is their savior. Oh, what a wonderful time it would be if we would, if he would come for us who know Jesus. It would be a a wonderful day for us. Oh, but for those who are far from God, those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Oh, how terrible it would be. Oh, how terrible the day of the Lord shall be for those who don't know Jesus. John, uh, Peter, he not only tells us that God doesn't measure time as we do, but he also tells us he hasn't come yet because he is long-suffering. Now, God wants to give every sinner, every unbeliever, every individual who's far from God, he wants to give everyone an opportunity to be saved. God loves and cares for us despite our sin and our rebellion. Despite our cursing and our rejection of him. He doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be separated from him for all eternity. We see this right here in verse 9. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but his long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God knows and he understands that for those who are separated eternally from him will live in a state of eternal suffering. The Bible calls this death. Not just the physical death, but this is a spiritual death. 
A spiritual death where you're eternally separated from the presence, power of God. And you're living for eternally in the suffering and anguish of darkness, evil, corruption. This is the very reason God sent his only begotten son. He loves us. He cares for us. Therefore, he suffers long for us. Yes, God has in man, by man's standard delay his coming. But in God's time, Jesus will come. Why hasn't he come yet? Because he doesn't measure time as we do. And because he is long-suffering. But here, I want us to also understand, as Peter shares in verse 10, the fact that Jesus will return. And when he returns, he's returning as a thief in the night. Why would the Bible reference Jesus, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ? Why, why would the Bible reference him as a thief? Well, one thing we know about a thief is that he will not tell you when he's coming. A thief is not going to reveal to you if he can help it that he is coming. Because he knows that if you knew when he would strike, you would watch, wait, and be prepared for his arrival. Folks, thieves don't tell us when they're coming, but we, what we know is that if we're careless and we don't prepare for their coming, it's highly likely they're going to strike and they're going to catch us unprepared. But when we take precautions, when we document serial numbers of items when, that are important to us, that is, when we store items in locked and secured places, when we secure our homes and we alarm our homes, we've taken precaution and we're prepared for the thief to come. And this is how the Lord wants us to live our lives in light of his return. Jesus has declared he's coming back, but he hasn't revealed when he's coming back. So we must be prepared for his coming. So the question becomes now is how can we be prepared for Jesus coming? Well, we have to be born again. We must, we, uh, the only way we can be prepared is to be born again and to keep our minds and our hearts focused on him and his return. Our lives are to be lived out so that we're looking and we're longing for him. And when it is lived out in this way, it'll stir us to live a pure and holy life. Mark 13 and 33, Jesus says that we are to take heed. We are to watch and we are to pray. This is right on the heels of him telling us that no man knows what hour the son of man comes. Only God the Father in heaven. So we are to take heed, watch, and pray. For those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, not knowing when Jesus will come serves as a warning to you that you need to repent now, today. For if he would return today, he would catch you unprepared. 2 Corinthians 6 or 2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
The day of the Lord is coming, but it's coming as a thief in the night. His return is going to be totally unexpected for many. My question to you, will that day catch you unprepared? Well, you know, the Lord knows. I don't have to know, but you can believe you know, and the Lord knows. You know whether you've been born again. You know whether, or you know whether you've been saved, or you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, but also God knows. And if you're unsure, it's likely that you haven't been. Some of you know that in our January or winter Bible study this year, it's been on the book of Jeremiah. And last week our, in our study at, at Pleasant View, preacher Jimmy Strickland done a phenomenal job. Those of you that were there, didn't he do a phenomenal job? He did a great job on that winter Bible study. So it was on the book of Jeremiah. And, uh, and you know, I've spent a lot of time in this book since November. I've taught this Bible study in three different churches. Uh, like this past week, I, I was in Buckhead. Two weeks in January, I was at two other churches. So from November to now, I've really spent a lot of time in the book of Jeremiah. And one thing that I really know about this book in some form, some fashion, some shape, the word repent, it appears over a hundred times in the book. That would tell me that it's important. It was important in that day and I want to assure you it's important today. God uses the prophet Jeremiah over the span of 40 years to tell the people of Judah to repent, to turn from their sinful ways and to turn back to following God. In Jeremiah 26 verses 4 through 6, the Bible says, and then you shall say to them, God telling Jeremiah, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I have set before you to heed the words of my servants the prophets whom I have sent to you both rising up in the early and sending them but you have not heeded in other words you have not repented then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth now God goes to the extreme of having the prophet to plead to Judah to repent or judgment is coming. God went as far as to tell them that if they would refuse to repent, some will be taken captive, some will die, and some will be exiled from Judah. And Judah and this temple will be destroyed. God reminds, of, reminds them of what happened in Shiloh. That the same thing that happened in Shiloh would happen in Judah. Now, in order for you to understand this, I've got to tell you what happened in Shiloh, don't I? Some of you remember. Some of you, it may be a little fuzzy, but you'll remember as we go through this. But in Shiloh, there was a tabernacle. This is the tabernacle where, where Hannah brought her son Samuel. You remember how Hannah prayed to God for a son and God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And Hannah brought her son to the 
tabernacle in Shiloh. In Shiloh, the priest was Eli. Eli had two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. These wicked sons, they were so bad that in the house of God, they would bring women for their own pleasure. I want to tell you, isn't that just awful? Well, you hate to know that you had leaders in the church who were looking over the spiritual welfare of you and they were bringing women in the church so that they could have their way with them sexually. Wouldn't that just bother you? This is what's going on in the house of God. And I want to tell you, God was bothered by what was taking place. And Eli, the priest, their father, he didn't do anything to stop them. Well, Israel goes into battle with the Philistines. And as they're in battle with the Philistines, some joker in, the, in Israel's army says, we need the Ark of the Covenant. Those two clowns, Phineas and, and Hophni, they take the Ark of the Covenant away from the holy place where it was sitting. Uh, and they take it out on the battlefield. And while it's out there, the Philistines take captive of this Ark of Covenant. And when they take a captive of the Ark of the Covenant, God's anger is enraged. As a matter of fact, Phineas and Hophni, they die there. And not only that, when word gets to Eli, Eli falls back. He bumps his head he breaks his neck and he dies immediately that ark never comes back to this tabernacle as a matter of fact when they when Israel recaptures the ark it goes to a different place a place called Kirjith Jerim and God laid waste to Shiloh it was nothing but a place of rubble when God got finished. And he told Jerusalem. His people. He told Judah. His temple. I'm talking about the temple that David put. Billions away for. The temple. This lavish place that Solomon erected. He said. I'll destroy it. If you don't turn to me. You know they thought. No no. This, this, this temple's been here for. Three and a half centuries. It ain't going nowhere. This temple is not going to be destroyed. But God declared if they would not repent. He would destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Well they scoffed at God. They scoffed at the idea that he would destroy this temple. They continued to reject God. And after long suffering. After God suffered for a while, after years of pleading with Israel to repent, God honored his word. In 587 BC, the Babylonians defeated Judah, destroying Jerusalem and the temple. And it laid waste for 50 years. Laid waste. Folks, I want to assure you, Jesus is coming. God will hear him. God will honor his word. Amen. He is coming. The Lord is coming. He's coming as a thief in the night. Mark 13, 35 says, watch therefore that you do not know when the master of the house is coming in evening or at midnight at the, cr or at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning. 
In in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2, the Bible says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Revelation 3 and 3, it says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Revelation 16 and 15 says, Behold, I am coming as a thief, but blessed is the one who watches and who keeps his garment lest he walk naked and there and and they see his shame folks Jesus is coming and he has said that we must repent and if you don't know Jesus as your savior I encourage you to repent and receive him today before he returns and he catches you unprepared you know when we were kids Many of us played hide and go seek. If there were several plans, everyone would go hide but one. That one would have to try to find those hiding. But he had to give them a head start. He had to give them time to hide. So they would agree on a number to count to. And he would begin counting. Or she would begin counting. And as they counted, when they got to the desired number... They would say, ready or not, here I come. Whew. <laughs> Folks, ready or not, Jesus is coming. I would encourage you to get ready because he's coming. Scripture, scripture, we can t- uh, trust the testimony of scripture. There may be scoffers in this world saying that all this stuff is false, but I want to tell you, we can trust The testimony of scripture. And we can let the scoffers, let them be who they're going to be. Let them say what they're going to say. But we trust the testimony of scripture. And I want to tell you, Jesus is coming back. Do I know when he's coming back? No. I'm watching. I'm praying. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting on his return. I'm longing for his return, a day where there'll be no more separation, a time where there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more dying, not for us, that he takes back with him. (laughs) Oh, it'll be a brand new day for us. But if you are left here, if he catches you unprepared, let me just say it as scripture says it, God will send the deluding spirit to where you'll believe a lie rather than the truth. In other words, you'll have no chance. Your chance is right now during the church age while the word of God is being preached to you. This is your chance. This is your time. Come, repent. Oh, if you've today, if you who are here, you have repeated, you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and begin praying for those who haven't. And if you haven't, I want to tell you today, you can. You can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Repenting is turning away from your life and turning to God. It's not turning fully around, but it's turning away from the direction that you're going and turning into God's direction. And today you can do that. And all it takes is for you to acknowledge that you're lost. On your way to a demon's hell. And that you are in need of a Savior. 
And then you just believe that Jesus Christ is the son of man, son of God. You believe Jesus being the son of God, that he left heaven, he come to earth and he gave his life on an old rugged cross for you. That they buried him in a tomb and he arose on the third day. He's with the father today, alive and well. And he's left the promise he's coming back. If you would believe after you've admitted who you are, believe who he is and now confess him as your Lord and Savior, then you too, you too can be ready, prepared, watching and waiting on the return of the Lord. Would you today? Just pray with me this prayer. If you're ready today, if you believe in your heart who Jesus is and you're ready to give your life to him, pray with me, would you? God, I know I have failed you. God, I know I am far from you right now. God, I believe that your son came to this world that he died for my sins he arose on the third day and he's at your right hand awaiting your word to come back and receive your church God I believe this and I want to be part of your church I ask that you would forgive me of my sins Wash me white as snow. God, I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for cleaning me up. God, I confess Jesus as my Savior. Now help me, God, to live as you would have me to in this world. I need you for every step I take. Help me, God, to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.